Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, so we got some serious business to take care of in a minute. Marcus Roseby Jack saying, obviously dealing with a couple of issues, and we'll talk about what that means for Georgia overall coming up in a moment. I'm going to ask you a favor, though. Before we get to that, I feel like we have to discuss that at least a little bit. Before we get to that, can we at least try to have some fun before we get there? Because uh, obviously this time of year, that's what we do. I love summer. I like the college football summer as well because we're kind of putting our – finishing touches on some of our opinions and we're starting to sort of allow some of this to take shape of exactly how we think it's going to play out here for the upcoming year and no surprise no big spoiler here obviously Georgia's right in the middle of all of this two-time national champion we believe around here the way we say it is go for three and 23 that's the mission that Georgia is on for this particular season and obviously now it starts to get important and appropriate to start talking about exactly how all of that's going to come together and I think that if you go back and look at the track record and stuff like stuff like this I think you see something you know pretty straightforward that kind of comes quickly into your field of uh, vision of exactly how a championship team is constructed and I've said this before and it kind of comes across as overly simplistic but sometimes you know the simple truths are the most accurate which is that a great team a national championship team is made up of a collection of great players that you've got to have talented players providing a top-end performance if you want to have a national championship team and a lot of ways this is kind of measured in the NFL draft we see Georgia players working their way towards the you know the front end of the NFL draft first round pick type things top 50 type pick uh, type players Georgia has been very lucky the last couple of years to have a lot of those types of players but it's not only the NFL draft in which that kind of thing can be measured I think you can also look at an all-SEC team there as well where if you look at Georgia the last two years, they have had five players in each of the last two years, five in 2022, five in 2021, on the first team All-SEC team that comes out at the end of the season. And you know it's one of those things where it's almost like being an All-SEC first team guy is almost as tough as being an All-American just because of how deep and how talented the SEC obviously is. And so when you want to kind of reflect the kind of top end sort of front end type talent you have on your roster, a first team all SEC situation is probably about as good a way to do that as anything is. As I said before, Georgia well represented the last couple of years with five on the first team at the end of the season. So if you're looking for, you know, how Georgia might be able to do that again this year, then once again, you're kind of zeroing in on, okay, well, well, who are the guys for Georgia this season who could emerge as first-team all-SEC type players by the end of the year? And does Georgia have enough of those to kind of match what it did in 2022, match what it did in 2021? The good news is you already know this, but the answer to that question is yes. I want to give you a little bit of an indication of why that is. One of the things I love this time of year is the debut of some of these preseason magazines. Seems like there are probably fewer of, the, fewer of those now than there used to be, certainly. But still, I gravitate towards them. One of those Athlon Sports. We're going to do some stuff on our vacation shows next week as it relates to the Athlon preseason magazine. But something else I want to highlight here for a moment is is that Athlon has its preseason all-SEC teams out. <laughs> Athlon's got four preseason all-SEC teams. So by the time you get down to the fourth team, pretty much the entire league has been mentioned by that point in time. But what you see first team, what you see second team, I think kind of tells you a story for how good that Georgia can be this year. So in fact, if you look at the first team all SEC for a moment, uh, you know, for Georgia this year, you see Brock Bauer showing up there as a tight end. First team offense, you see the center Cedric Von Prime there as well. So two Georgia players on that first team offense. 
and our offense. I don't know why I put the, uh, the emphasis in the wrong syllable. But so if, if you're saying, okay, well, you got to have five first-team All-SEC guys to be as good as you were a year ago, then you're all already off to a pretty good start. Athlon, reputable publications, kind of says, hey, we see two of those guys on offense right now. It's Brock Bowers. It's Cedric Von Prahn. Then we look at the first-team defense. Once again, you see a representation from Georgia there. You see uh, Mikael Williams on there as a first-team All-SEC guy. You see J- Jamon Dumas-Johnson as a first-team All-SEC guy. And you see Malachi Starks on there there as well. So if you are a believer that five has been kind of a magic number for Georgia the last couple of years, then on the basis of the preseason first-team All-SEC team alone, you are kind of well on your way to being as measurably talented in 2023 as you were in 2021 and 2022. But here's the thing we know. Football is kind of a funny sport. Sometimes injuries occur. Sometimes unforeseen circumstances kind of play out. Let's say that for whatever reason, of those five first-team All-SEC guys that Athlon says that it sees in the preseason, let's say that it doesn't actually work out for all those guys for whatever reason and you know a couple of those guys have kind of dealt with injury this and injury that so maybe injuries kind of factor into this or maybe something else factors into this that means you need kind of a wider net right if you want to be guaranteed of your five you need to have a, a, a wider net to kind of cast from here in order to really be able to get that so when you look at the second team offense second team defense here's where things get kind of interesting for Georgia and here's where I think you can make a case that we talk about underrated players this time of year who for Georgia's maybe not getting enough attention some of the the guys you see on the second team all sec preseason list from athlon i think it's kind of an example of that for instance you see lad mcconkey as the second team guy right now can't you make a case that based on what lad did a year ago a better stat line than seemingly a lot of folks realize that maybe lad mcconkey could be in line to be a first team all sec guy by the end of the season same thing for his brand new teammate dominic lovett who's on here lovett's actually as, as prolific a returning wide receiver as the SEC has right now. I was a little bit surprised to only see Dominic Lovett on the second team for the All-SEC preseason list, courtesy of Athlon. But once again, guys like McConkey and Lovett are right there at that line of, if they have the kind of productive season we think they're capable of, now they move across that threshold. They themselves become first-team All-SEC type guys, giving Georgia a chance to have the kind of ultra-talented and productive players that seem to result in uh, national championships. Xavier Truss on here as a second-team guy. Tate Ratledge is on here as a second-team guy, really leaning on the strength of that offensive line. That could be Georgia's thing here this year. Once again, looking at the second-team defense, you see Nazir, uh, Nazir Stackhouse on here. You see uh, uh, Smile Mondin on here. You see Kamari Laster on here. You see Javon Bullard on here. Once again, you see a collection of guys who have a chance to raise their level of play a little bit, and all of a sudden you're talking about them as the kind of household names that typically populate the first-team all-SEC list that Georgia has a chance to do that. And I don't quite know how you quantify this, and I don't quite know how you uh, you know prove this necessarily, but doesn't it seem like Georgia, a huge part of its recipe for success the last couple of years, are guys emerging who weren't necessarily predicted to do that prior to the start of the season? I mean, did people really know how good of a player Devontae Wyatt was going to be prior to 2021? Obviously, people knew the talent that Trayvon Walker possessed, but did they realize he was going to become the number one overall pick in that NFL draft and kind of 
on and on you could go. I think the Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Mon and his linebackers probably surprised and stuck up on some people a year ago. And you can kind of point to players who have sort of raised their level over the course of their time here at UGA, and that has been a big recipe for how Georgia's won the last two national championships. Guys not necessarily recognized at the beginning of the season earning plenty of credit and accolades by the end of the season. And to a degree, Georgia may be in a position to do that here this year there as well. But admittedly, there's obviously a lot more acknowledgement of exactly how talented Georgia is on the basis of something like the preseason all-SEC list from Athlon Sports simply because of how successful the program has been. It's obviously a great time to be a Georgia fan in that regard because right now the preseason seems to be setting up for Georgia to be exactly at the end of the season what it wants to be, which is a go-for-three in 23-type team. That might have been why Kirby Smart was in such a good mood post-G-Day after what he'd seen from these players and the work they had done then to put themselves in a position to earn this kind of attention in the preseason. In fact, if you want to go back and talk to Kirby Smart after G-Day, he made it very clear about what his mindset was about his current team and how it fits into the larger story being told about Georgia football right now. Here's Kirby Smart. I'm excited. Uh, I've always said, you know, we're built to sustain here, and that's my, my motto. We're not trying to be a one-hit wonder. We want to put a really good football team out there each year, and uh, we're well on our way to doing that this time. We've probably got the most cohesive unit we've had in terms of the guys love being with each other. Um, they like practicing hard. I mean, we had... 14 of the 15 days, I really thought we had good practices, and, and that includes today. And I was really pleased with, with their work ethic. So, like, they like practicing. They like football. When, when people come to your practice and they've been to seven other schools and they say, man, y'all get after it. Man, your guys practice hard. Man, your guys buy in and have fun. It makes me feel better that our, our kids uh, enjoy it. So if we were to stipulate for a moment here that the task of winning another national championship requires a whole bunch of your players essentially dominating and taking over the first team, all SEC team at the end of the season, based on the way that Kirby Smart describes those players there, they could be well on their way to doing just that. Now, I've got to change the subject now, something completely different, something a lot less fun to discuss, but it is obviously pertinent and something we have to deal with here today. I'm going to read you from the story dognation.com. The headline says, Georgia wide receiver Marcus Rosemey Jackson arrested on reckless driving and speeding charges. And if you go in here and look at it a little bit more, um, 4.33 p.m. on Tuesday, Athens Clark County Police Department released at 5.28. Uh, I, I guess the uh, uh, the specific like legal definition here was arrested on a reckless driving and a, quote, maximum limit speeding charge. I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what that means. Um, you know, I, I just not well-versed enough in like that part of traffic law to know exactly exactly what that phrase means but obviously for the average Georgia fan the average kind of ability to comprehend on this it sort of feels like the latest in a string of, of unfortunate stories involving Georgia players and making bad decisions behind the wheel of a car and you got to take that obviously very seriously you want to go back to the start of spring practice when you know in the midst of the aftermath of the horrible car crash that cost you know Chandler McCoy and Devin Willick their lives Obviously, what George was doing to kind of address these types of issues with the players in the program, that was very top of mind there at the time. And Kirby Smart talked about the role that the program can play and really instilling a sense of discipline behind the wheel for its players. This is what Kirby Smart said about this topic going back to March. Here's Kirby on that. Absolutely. We've got complete control of our program and our kids in our program. Do kids make mistakes? Yes, young student athletes make mistakes. They do. Um, it happens all across the country. It happens here. Um, there's no lack of control for our program. I think our kids across the board will tell you that we have an incredible culture here. We have a connective tissue that brings our team together. 
Uh, our, our guys do make mistakes. That's historically probably going to happen when you're 18 to 22 year old. Our job as coaches is to prevent that from happening, and uh, that starts with me. And you do it by how you educate your players and how you discipline your discipline your players, and we'll continue to do that at a high standard. I don't have a ton to say about this from an opinion standpoint, other than I guess my feelings on this are somewhat complicated, and I feel like I have kind of conflicting ideas that are kind of competing in my mind for uh, which one's the more right. Like on the one hand, this is obviously a very serious situation, and I do believe that Georgia kind of has an obligation to you know do everything it can to keep its players safe, including protecting them from themselves at times, and certainly they have an obligation to make sure the people that are interacting with the Georgia players on the roads, they're safe there as well, that 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 this is a message that has to be sent, and it's kind of one of those age-old messages there as well. I mean, I remember being a young person, and there's this, just this belief that you're bulletproof and that you can kind of do anything. I mean, I don't mind telling you I've had you know too many instances in my you know time growing up, which I probably was driving way too fast. I got a little bit of a collection of speeding tickets. Thankfully, that's you know not something that's probably true for me as much anymore. But you know, a little bit of a heavy foot at times. I guess I probably had that. Uh, so even me growing up, you know, adults try to tell you how how you know risky it can be to be behind the wheel of a car and how quickly your life can change in a matter of seconds and seems like sometimes messages like that would have bounced right off me and now it seems like now that I'm an older person trying to convey that one of these days I'll be trying to convey that to my own kids and you just sort of you know fear that that message just kind of bounces right off them there as well is that sometimes it's hard to properly convey just how much risk you are taking on when you make a decision to drive a car because whether you're driving you know some one of these fancy cars that go super fast like frankly even like regular cars these days you know probably accelerate move a little faster than they did when i was growing up certainly the kinds of cars that i've driven for most of my life you know uh even regular cars today seem to go a little bit faster that it's just sort of easy to go too fast in a car and going too fast can lead to a lot of consequences that's just kind of a serious deal and we're kind of in that time of year in may you know i, I guarantee you at some point in time next couple of weeks we hear some horrible story somewhere about somebody who was this close to high school graduation or whatever else and some sort of traffic thing that goes down. It just seems like that happens every, you know, every year this time of year. And it's always a tragic story because we, you know, just come to realize just how precious life can be. And obviously Georgia's come up very close on that in their own right there as well. And I do take that pretty seriously. On the other hand, though, some of the things that I sometimes hear Georgia fans talk about this, I don't know that I can quite get on board with that necessarily to the same degree that some Georgia fans do. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, like, each one of these situations that Georgia's dealt with, what's going on with Marcus Rosemary Jackson right now, and Denial Moore said before that, and obviously all the stuff related to the car crash prior to that, and some of the other speeding issues that have kind of crept in on all of this too. You know, all of those in situations individually pretty, you know, very, very serious. But when you try to connect it together and kind of make it into some sort of public relations issue, I don't quite know how seriously I take that part of this. You know, I think the public relations aspect of certain like things like this can be kind of overblown where it's like you'll see some national media jump in here. Oh, another black guy for Georgia, another another series of arrests for Georgia. They'll kind of run through the timeline of this happened and that happened and that happened. I don't take the PR part of that as seriously as some people do. I, I don't think that probably matters quite as much. The actual important thing, as I said before, is helping Georgia players make the best decision for themselves. But playing defense against PR, that's the kind of thing that the national media seems to care about a lot more than the average fan probably cares about. And I think that's probably important to keep in mind. And the other thing I'll say very quickly is, and not everybody agrees with this, and that's fine, there's also a temptation on the part of some to say, well, if you want to make this problem go away, you've got to get 
extra hard on this kind of stuff going forward. And they would say to a guy like Demarcus Rosemary Jackson here, hey, sorry, uh, we're going to have a zero tolerance policy about this. Now we're going to kick you off the team because of the things that have happened prior to you uh doing what you've done right here and listen i take this very seriously it worries me to think that georgia players aren't protecting their own health and safety as well as they could it certainly worries me to think they've put other people in athens in harm's way by driving too fast that's all very very serious but the idea that rosemey jack saint should be judged more harshly because of something other georgia players did i'm sorry no i don't think that's true uh rosemey jack saint's got right he's got rights here uh and the idea that you're going to kick him off the team, some people would say, because of something that some other Georgia player has allegedly done or even been proven to have done. Uh, I don't think that's the quite right way to evaluate all of this either. And I don't say that just because you know Georgia needs Marcus Roseby Jackson. Frankly, Georgia's bigger than any one you know, player because of the success they've you know had over the course of the last couple of seasons. But at the same time, I'm going to be very slow in wanting to take football away from anybody for any reason. I just am. Uh, because I don't, you know, that's just that's just the way we are. And we kind of feel that way about players on other teams other than Georgia there as well. We're just not heavy-handed about wanting to take football away from somebody. And in this situation, certainly not going to take football, uh, at least based on what we feel like we know about this right now, we're not going to take football away from a player like this because of what other players were alleged to have done. So how do you reconcile all of this? I don't know. It's obviously a leadership challenge for Kirby Smart because on the one hand, it is very, very serious. But on the other hand, doing right by your players individually and evaluating them fairly on their own individual situation i think that's appropriate here too kind of complicated it's the last thing the world georgia fans want to talk about but unfortunately it is back in the news again today and i'm brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're presented by breda pass management we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video 9 45 first and 15 dognation.com dog nation app 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 Ref, and available as a podcast. Apple, Spotify, everywhere else. Just happy to have you as a part of our program today. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who make it all possible. You know, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, what that means is you go to all those athletic venues, Sanford Stadium and Foley Field and the uh, softball uh, stadium where the uh, team is, you know, having a great run so far this year. Uh, great to see them. Uh, doing what they've done and now getting ready to move on there to the uh, super regional action either way whatever uh whatever you know athletic venue you're thinking about there on the university of georgia campus it's protected by braided pass management no bugs no critters no termites all of that protected by our friends at braided pass management they've been recognized by uga as really kind of the the market leader in this space and the good news is is the same level of service and care and protection that georgia gets from Breda, you can get that there as well and it's not just a company that's been in business since 1975 with 125 employees. It's a level of resource that can be marshaled to allow you to, boom, save money instantly just for making the switch. You may be working with some fly-by-night company, and it seems like every single year the quality of service goes down, the cost of service goes up. At Breda Pest Management, that's not going to be the situation. They are going to put more money back in your pocket instantly just for making the switch it's literally like almost like your own nil deal you'll have more money to spend on the things you love to spend it on when you make that switch to breda pass management online bradapass.com it's spelled b-r-e-d-a bradapass.com for a lot more on that all right we're gonna talk to mike griffith here coming up in a moment let me give you one housekeeping note and then we're gonna do around the doghouse so i think i said this yesterday so rest of the week normal like always monday is memorial day we're gonna be stepping away from the show no show at all that day in observance of 
the Memorial Day holiday. And then I'm going to be on vacation the rest of that week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We've got a great series of pre-recorded shows, a lot of fun and surprises in store for that. We've been working very hard to get those ready. Um, if something obviously happens, because you're going to have SEC spring meetings, you're going to have recruiting stuff, whatever goes down, obviously someone, if, if, if the news is big enough, we're going to go live and you know cover it. Somebody will be doing that. I will be stepping away for the week, but we'll have you cover on everything related to Dog Nation. So our show is going to be really good, not necessarily reflective of the current news cycle because of the fact that we're pre-recording them. But if something big happens, especially related to recruiting, possibly relating to the SEC spring meetings, then we're going to be all over that for you there at Dog Nation. Then I'll be back the following Monday kind of rolling along as we always do. So just want to give you a little bit of an update on that. Now, with that said, let's dive in here and get ready to go around the doghouse here today. I'll talk about something a little bit, uh, I guess, off the radar uh, just for a moment. This isn't all that important, but I didn't think it was kind of interesting. So our buddy, uh, the old Georgia defensive uh, tackle, Bear Alexander, has apparently settled in well to Los Angeles. If you're watching on video, we'll show this to you. Uh, Bear apparently is living in a very nice apartment out in L.A. This is like uh, uh, you know something pretty uh, sharp here, the kind of thing you'd see in a movie or something like that, really enjoying himself. Yeah, go ahead and sh- let's take a look at this if we got that take a little bit of bear alexander here he put this on tiktok shared it as an instagram reel there as well uh looks to be a pretty sizable apartment got a nice balcony view of downtown los angeles uh he says the caption on the tiktok says so i moved to la and i got my uh, new apartment he also the, the 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 caption that he put on his instagram post is transitioning from fitting in to standing out beyond blessed there's bear alexander so listen i'm not going to say a bad word about bear here and obviously he's got a nice apartment out there in la hope he enjoys himself i will say a couple of things though here's thing number one i think the great thing about the new era of college football that we live in right now is is i think you get a chance to self-select in other words people get to make an informed decision on the front end about the kind of experience they want to have while they're in college And for some people, living in a fancy apartment and playing in kind of a soft league and getting a lot of attention on a team in which you may be kind of, let's face it, look at Lincoln Riley's past here. Bear Alexander may be the only kind of NFL-type guy he has on a defense because that's just typically speaking what Lincoln Riley teams have been. So standing out from the crowd in a situation like that on a team that's probably just below the college football playoff or certainly national championship level, that may be exactly what Bear Alexander wants. And I think it's good that we live in an age now where you can self-select. And you've got the freedom of movement to say, okay, what's the thing that fits me? Thankfully, for those of us who are Georgia fans, there are a lot of other players who kind of make a different kind of self-selection. They realize, hey, my ultimate goal is to be rich in the NFL. Boy, Georgia puts you through the ringer while you're there, and you've got to sacrifice some individual glory, and you've got to grind and push and work hard. And Kirby Smart said that in the clip we heard a moment ago of, hey, you know, there are a lot of guys who, who, who love practicing. They love football. And if you don't you know, love football, then you're not going to probably love the University of Georgia. But if you want to let football kind of heap the riches on you that it can, then getting the kind of development you get at a place like Georgia probably makes an awful lot of sense. And so I think one of the things that a lot of us have, have, have kind of, you know, learned to appreciate about this new era in which we live is that now programs get to be however they want. You can be a glitzy, glamorous program. You can be a tough grinding program. But eventually, we keep score on all these games. You know, we write these results down for a reason to see who did what, who produced what. And Georgia's obviously production gives itself a chance to kind of validate the kind of program that it is. And if you think you'd be more comfortable somewhere else, then you probably would be. And you should know what you're getting into before you make a decision like that. And so maybe Bear will be happier in L.A. than he proved to be there at UGA. I guess the other thing I'll say here, for just for a second, is 
we have a lot of like, you know, probably families recruits that watch our show. Certainly sometimes the recruits themselves kind of tune in. My one piece of advice here is to also be careful about what you take as an NIL payment. Just think about this for a moment. The goal that I believe, if my son, and let's face it, if he's got my athletic genes, this will never be a relevant issue. But if he were to be a great football recruit, the one thing I'd tell him is, is that, hey, allow your NIL to contribute to your overall wealth. And the way in which you increase your wealth is by increasing your net worth. Like living in a fancy apartment is not adding one cent to your overall balance sheet. The same way that driving some sort of fancy leased vehicle is not doing that either. Like it'd be, you'd be way better off getting attractive land up in North Georgia somewhere, <laughs> even undeveloped land. Ultimately, at least that's going to have more long-term value for them. I'm not hating. I'm just telling you the, the honest truth here is that you, these young players have an opportunity now to leverage things that previous players, at least on the table, on the record, didn't get a chance to do. Don't trade that for a lease. Don't trade that for an apartment lease or a, or a car lease. Don't, don't trade that for a lease. Uh, you know, something that you lease may look good on the gram, but it's not adding to your overall net worth and you just got to keep that in mind uh cash land you know a tangible asset if you have a chance to kind of trade some nil for something you can hold you can touch you have a deed to that's going to make you a lot happier over the course of the long haul but kirby smart it's kind of made peace with all of this era when it comes to uh, college football you know on once again to go back to g-day for a moment that's when we found out that Bear Alexander was on his way out to L.A. Kirby Smart talked that day about the nature of transferring and the fact that, listen, hey, this is the age in which we live. Players will make the best choice for them. Program's going to operate in the way they think sets them up for the most success. And, hey, this is all how, it's, how business is done here in 2023. This is what Kirby Smart said about that back in April. Yeah, uh, you know, this, that's the, the way of the world. It's, it's who, who handles it and manages it best. And um, it's basically the new climate we're in. So... Uh, window will open up, um, you know, all across the country. There'll be guys going in and, and looking for greener pastures, and uh, that's ultimately the, the the climate that we have created. And you know, there's more power to them. I, we've got a lot of guys who've benefited from the portal, and you know, I hope we benefit from the portal. We had a couple guys out there today that came by way of the portal that made some really good plays. So uh, it's it's the climate that we're in, and uh, we'll do the best we can to capitalize on it. But I'm very pleased with what we've got on our team and our roster. Um, and it's not a way that we're going to build a team by any means. Well, Kirby Smart says there at the end is the kind of thing that I don't believe the Georgia fans should miss. You know, Georgia fans don't have much of a need or even much of a desire to think about the guys that got away. This guy transferred here, that guy transferred there, or some recruit that you didn't get. Georgia fans just don't seem to have much need to do that because the guys who do come to choose to Georgia, the guys who do choose to sort of stick it out at UGA and – kind of fight for their spot on a team like this. Ultimately, Kirby Smart sounds so pleased with what Georgia currently has going on that what's happening somewhere else with players who either decided not to come to UGA or decided to leave UGA, that just doesn't seem like a very relevant topic for most dog fans. And that is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management here today. Now, before we're done, we're going to look at the rest of the Athlon Sports preseason All-SEC team because the other players outside of UGA, I think that kind of tells an interesting story too. Plus, we're also going to talk about this, what the future of some of Georgia's assistant coaches might look like and how the current landscape of college football might be somewhat changing how other Georgia assistants might make choices about their future going forward. We'll talk about all of that here coming up. But for now, on everything related to what's going on with Georgia football and one of the things in particular I want to talk to Mike Griffith about because I know we're kind of coming up on sort of that spring meeting time of year. 
I've told you before, if you got a choice to be in any kind of business, I think the business you want to be in is college administration, college sports administration in particular, because <laughs> meetings that could have been an email or at the very least could be a Zoom call. It's amazing how many of these turn out to be, you know, some sort of great location on some lake somewhere down in the Florida panhandle or somewhere like that, you know, where there's plenty of nice hotels and plenty of good expense account dining to be enjoyed. College administrators have it pretty good this time of year. We've sort of entered into that time of year too, where there's some news about to come out. So we'll cover all that with Mike Griffith. In fact, let's do that right now here on dog nation daily presented by Breda pass management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Uh, Mike Griffith joins us here, uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. As I said, you got spring meetings coming up for, like, uh, I guess, what, UGA, the SEC, you know, so you're going to have some news coming out here. We're going to get to all of that with Mike coming up, kind of setting the stage for the next, you know, week or so. We'll do that here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, Mike, obviously serious news yesterday as it relates to Marcus Roseme Jack Saint. Uh, I told our audience a moment ago that I'm a little bit conflicted on this. Totally acknowledge that it's a serious situation when you got a player driving too fast. And yet, at the same time, I'm not really quite so sure what I think that Georgia ought to do about it necessarily. I am not in favor of heavy-handed zero-tolerance policies, really about anything, to be honest with you, whether it relate to college football or, you know, my kid's school or anything else. Zero-tolerance policies have a way of just not really quite working out the way they're intended to, I believe. So, Mike, I'll give you the floor. What do you think about, you know, kind of another traffic driving related arrest for a Georgia football player? Well, Brandon, I guess I've got like kind of mixed feelings like you too. I mean, on the one hand, nobody wants their kid to be the one that's made an example out of. But at some point, you realize that whatever the internal discipline's been, it, it doesn't seem to be resonating. And you know, when issues rise to the level of lives being lost, that's, that's typically a, a pretty good message and a pretty sobering moment for people that, oh, my gosh, um, you know, we better slow down. Like, this isn't just playful. This isn't some video game. I mean, lives could be lost. I mean, thank goodness there wasn't some young child out on a bicycle and it wasn't your mother pulling out in front of them at a, you know, at a stop sign. I mean, this, this, is, this is reckless endangerment that takes a toll on a community. And when it reaches the point where the behavior endangers innocent people, I think you do have to stop and say, all right, what are we doing here? But to your point, you know, what should the consequences be? And, you know, should the consequences be bigger for one person than the other? I mean, it's hard to say. I guess I kind of go back to um, what year was it? Maybe 2018, 2019, when Georgia had six players arrested in six weeks during the spring. And Kirby made Robert Beal and Brandon Cox run stadium steps in front of boosters at a scrimmage. You know, I'm not saying that that's the answer, but my point is Kirby elevated things. He basically said, all right, enough of this. This, you know, and and those, and those infractions weren't, weren't as serious as these, you know, these were individuals that were, you know, caught with paraphernalia or things like that, in some cases, unpaid traffic violations, whatever. We're talking about things now that can affect society and everybody can roll their eyes and say, Oh, everybody does it. But if it was happening in your neighborhood every day, I don't think you would be happy. I don't think you would be tolerant if it was happening on the streets where you lived or if it affected you personally. So, um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'll say that I do think Kirby smart is a very capable manager. I do think that there is an awareness and I do think he will not tolerate it. I don't know what he's going to do, but my guess is after the fourth 
a racing arrest, reckless driving incident, he, they're going to feel some Kirby heat. Um, and, and now on a happier note, I'm going to change the subject on here. On a happier note, I'm getting ready to publish a story. Kirby Smart, who all about winning titles, actually made time to see off the softball team and went and visited them as they had to Tallahassee. And I thought, you know, that is what you want to see from your football coach when it's such an iconic figure because his influence is felt throughout that entire athletic department. You know, so yes, on the one hand, there's some housekeeping for Georgia, but on the other hand, I look at how the Georgia athletic department uh, is on a rise. And I have no doubt that Kirby Smart has elevated Georgia athletics across the board. I like Kirby Smart this time of year, and obviously he's got some tough decisions to make moving forward on issues like this. We don't downplay that. But I do like him this time of year. We also summoned the Braves game last night. You know, I like the fact that Kirby has interests other than football. I think he is a big baseball fan. He likes the Atlanta Braves. He's certainly talked about that plenty. Uh, and Seeing him there last night was kind of a fun thing to be able to see. You talk about visiting the softball team. I kind of like that. I like when we see him at like the region's celebrity pro-am thing before the uh, PGA Tour Champions event each year in Birmingham. He obviously enjoys playing golf. As someone who's a Georgia fan and wants to see Kirby Smart, you know, kind of, uh, you know, energized enough to keep doing this for a long time, having some interest other than football, including your own family, by the way, are important things to, I think, help kind of keep you going. And this time of year is about the closest we ever see to a version of Kirby that's not so the sort of hard-driving, insatiable appetite for, for championships and success that we see the other kind of 11 months out of the year. So I kind of like the June, you know, like the, like the late May, early June version of Kirby Smart. It, it's, a, it's a version of Kirby that we don't often get to see other times. Well, and he's got, you know, he has the time, and I think the cool thing is I think Kirby recognizes what a big influence that he is. I mean, he truly influences uh, people. I mean, I mean, shoot, you know, Brandon, I, I have no problem telling you this. You know, in my career, I've covered all these Hall of Fame coaches, successful coaches at different stops, and I, I mean, you, you'd have to, you know, be foolish not to take something from them. I mean, Kirby is such a driven figure, and the way he goes about that, there's something to be learned when you're, dealing in and around Kirby Smart every day. And again, he's not perfect, and, and we don't claim that he is. I mean, nobody is. I mean, if we're being realistic about it, these, there's issues that happen on every football team. But what's different is that Georgia is in the spotlight. As a two-time national champion, there is a higher degree of scrutiny. That is part of the deal. When you become, you know, when you become famous and you're on air every day on Dog Nation Daily, more people know who you are. I, I would love to watch you coach a youth baseball game. I wonder <laughs> how many times you think to yourself, I would really like to go ballistic right now, but I can't do that. The other dad can because they don't know who he is, but everybody knows who you are, and you have to, and so you understand, you know, just what it takes. And for Kirby to put himself out there, something he doesn't ordinarily do outside of football, I agree. It is awesome to be able to see this side of Kirby Smart. Yeah, no doubt about that. So, Mike, we're coming up on kind of a newsy time of year. We're about to have some meetings involving UGA and its athletic board. We're going to have the SEC spring meetings uh, coming up there as well. I've also got some vacation time coming next week, too. So some of this is sort of setting the stage for part of what's going to happen while I am gone. So can we kind of preview this here for a little bit? And it's really the SEC meetings I want to talk to you the most about. But let me ask you about what Georgia's got coming up there as well. What do we anticipate from a news standpoint coming out with Georgia as they get ready to get together and kind of talk about the current state of the athletic situation there. What's on tap for Georgia? And then I want to talk about the SEC part after that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think, I think the first thing, it affects Georgia, it affects everybody, 
is the scheduling. And I think we're going to see the three six, but particularly to Georgia, I think we're going to learn who their annual opponents are going to be. And I obviously Florida. I think Auburn, and unfortunately, my opinion, I'm not a fan of Kentucky, but I think they're going to get stuck with Kentucky. I, I do. I just, nobody really, I mean, it, to me, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, the horses and all that. I, I think November and cold and, you know, a difficult football team that you don't really get much credit for beating. I, I would much rather see that third team be South Carolina, first and foremost, because of the proximity, or two, Tennessee, because of the, the luster and the richness of that rivalry and, and what it will mean, I think, in these next three to five years. I think Tennessee and Georgia will settle the East. Uh, is, is, and of course, Florida, you know, Georgia's keeping Florida on life support if they continue playing Jacksonville, a whole other topic. But so those three opponents, I think the three annual opponents are going to come out. You've got my prediction on that. I think we're going to see the three six model come out as well. And then I think that Kirby is a two time national champion. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still going to be plenty of people that flock to Nick Saban for, you know, his philosophies, and he loves to philosophize, and he's fantastic. Another coach we can learn something from with some of his, you know, sayings and approaches and whatnot. But I think Kirby is, is really rounding into more of the, the voice of reason, right? I mean, we've seen Jimbo Fisher and Nick have their little spat off to the side, and, you know, Lane Kiffin's fun on Twitter, but he's kind of hard to take serious otherwise. And, you know, the Kentucky coach, you know, doesn't win nearly enough for anybody to care. Um, although he does hold the distinction of having the longest tenure of any FBS coach who's yet to win his division. Uh, but, but I look at Kirby as kind of a leader for the SEC, and I think his words, I mean, we know he's on the rules committee, so obviously he's influential there, but I think his words will carry more weight than ever. At the same time, he will probably be scrutinized on this recent rash of uh, driving incidents, particularly uh, the off-season tragedy of LaCroix and Willick. So a lot, again, more to unpack there, but I expect Kirby and Georgia to be in the spotlight in Dustin. So let me ask about the scheduling thing here for a moment. I don't want to get too complicated here because I feel like we lose some people if I do, but the sense that I've been getting, and this is based on stuff that I'm reading, this is not obviously reporting that I'm doing, it's just stuff that I'm reading, is that the actual sentiment to expand to the nine-game conference slate might not be quite as popular as I thought it was. You know, for instance, last year, I thought they were going to announce this a year ago, and the understanding is I guess the Kentucky didn't want to, so therefore they didn't. And now as we get to this year where it's supposed to be happening, I get the sense that there are a lot more schools that conceivably don't really want to. And part of this is on the basis that they don't have any kind of uh, assurance from ESPN that they will get more revenue, like more TV money, basically, for the additional conference game. And so therefore it becomes one of these things of, well, if they're not going to pay us you know, extra money for playing an extra conference game, then aren't we better off getting the, 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 the big check that comes from the extra home game? And for schools like Kentucky and Missouri and teams like that, a better chance at bowl eligibility, which also you know, brings a little bit of money there too, I guess. I guess the point that I'm getting at, Mike, is, is that I sort of hope you're right. I think this, current, this new SEC will be better with a nine-game conference slate. I think three permanent opponents certainly benefits Georgia because you can get both Florida and Auburn as permanents, whereas if you have the eight-team mark, you know, the eight-team conference schedule, Georgia's probably not playing Auburn every year in that particular situation but to kind of wrap this up and give you a chance to respond i don't get the sense that the nine game conference schedule is as popular as i thought that it was well not for the loser program i mean they, they, they want that buy game that they know they're going to get a guaranteed win in. i mean let's face it it's a lot easier to go four and four and keep your job than four and five 
and it will be more challenging to make you know some of the secondary postseason bowls. But you know the SEC is a is a conference and that that shoots for the top, right? You, you painted a tremendous glass glass half empty scenario that the Kentuckys and the old misses of the world. Uh, the Mississippi State, you know, some of the, the lower end programs that, that don't want to really compete but want to check Vanderbilt, you know, that, that, that they may favor, um, you know, because hey, you're taking away a free win from us, you know, and what are we really going to get for it? Maybe we won't get our piece of the pie. We're more worried about us than we are the whole. But the best for the whole is to have a more competitive schedule. And quite frankly, the Big Ten plays nine, nine, nine conference games. So they do have a more rich schedule and they are paid more. And this provides perfect logic for the SEC to get on par with the Big Ten. The SEC is behind. This is first and foremost what people must realize. The SEC is behind the Big Ten in revenue sharing right now. The Big Ten has a richer television contract, and it also has the top three television markets in the nation. And as someone who grew up in another area of the country pulling for the SEC, I can't tell you how many times I was frustrated by final polls and bowl selections because I thought the SEC got ripped off in the 80s and 90s. I really did. And go back and look at who was winning championships. The SEC wasn't as dominant as it could have, should have, would have. You know, it really hasn't happened. You know, really, this is more of a recent phenomenon where the SEC is dominated. Well, if you let the television money start going to the Big Ten, you know, you follow the dollars for success. So the SEC has no choice but to make itself more competitive through its television contract, through its scheduling. And I believe that's the logic that is going to win out, Brandon. Well, I hope that's the case, but it seems like based on what seems to be out there right now, you just got to convince ESPN of this. That I think with the SEC, my understanding is you would, you're going to be there, so you would know this better than me maybe, but um, I think that certainly Greg Sankey is trying to lead in the direction of a nine-game conference schedule and more money from ESPN to justify the, more, the, 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 the additional like inventory that the SEC would be given to ESPN. But if ESPN's not willing to like pony up for the extra game, then the league's team was actually they'd lose money by playing a nine game conference slate because it costs about a half million dollars to go on the road. Uh, you know, you don't have, you know, the extra, you know, home game that you could otherwise get. That if this league plays a nine game conference slate for the current T V deal that ESPN has given them, they'd actually lose money by doing so. So you're saying you're that they're giving them more for less, but but That's we right. know this for sure that if they don't expand, then they really don't have the grounds to ask for more, and there is no chance for extra money if you go with the one seven model where you play one annual opponent, which would be, which would be Florida, and rotate seven. You're you're basically capping your potential. So to your point, yeah, there's a risk you could be doing more for the same amount of money, but if you don't do more, there's no way you're getting more money. If that makes sense as well, you're also adding Texas and Oklahoma. Um, you know, Texas helps you solidify that Dallas-Fort Worth area. I mean, A&M is closer to Houston, as most people know. Um, you know, bringing Texas in in Austin, I think that helps you a little bit in Dallas-Fort Worth, albeit it's not directly in Dallas-Fort Worth, but it is closer, and Texas is the primary state institution. So that is the number four television market in the country. So that also adds value in 2024. I think playing the nine-game conference schedule, uh, you know, now that there's a 12-team playoff, it makes sense. When there was a four-team playoff, I think the loser logic, you know, made more sense because, as Nick Saban said, I mean, you, you know, you're playing, you know, what, six or seven teams that are really of top 10 or top 15 ilk, uh, even though they don't end up being there because they beat one another. But if you put, if you take the loser approach um, with a 12-game schedule, it, it, it's easier to have another loss and make the playoff. When you were playing a four-game schedule, 
then yeah, that second loss was a risk because we did see uh, in 2018 that the four best teams didn't necessarily go. Even though they said they would go, they used that second loss as an excuse to keep a deserving Georgia team out. And in fact, there was never a a two-loss team that made the college football playoff uh, in its four-team existence, which, of course, this will be the final year of that four-team uh, playoff before we go to 12 in 2024. Mike, good stuff. I look forward to reading a whole lot more from you about this, dognation.com. Obviously, you'll have uh, plenty of coverage for us as we head towards Destin and obviously the uh, Georgia meeting and stuff coming up too. So you'll be all over that. Mike, we appreciate your time, and we will look forward to talking to you soon. All right, thanks, Jay. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. So I realize like, the money part of this can be kind of, you know, I don't know, not the most fun discussion from time to time, but here's the takeaway I want you to have. Like, it could be next week that everybody kind of comes together and has hands held and they're all celebrating, hey, you know, SEC is getting a boost to its TV deal. They're expanding the nine-game conference late. We get more of the kind of good games that you expanded the SEC for. That could very well happen. But if ESPN, who, frankly, not always easy to predict, and certainly they're not exactly living in the most heady days for them financially, big-time job cuts, things like that, um, if if they drag their feet on wanting to provide additional revenue for extra inventory, which is what a nine-game you know, conference late would be, then all of a sudden you're kind of dealing with a frustrating situation as a Georgia fan or as an SEC fan in general, that because of ESPN and because of money, you won't be playing the Deep South's oldest rivalry every year going forward. You wouldn't be playing third Saturday in October between Alabama and Tennessee every year going forward. That you wouldn't be able to play Texas and Texas A&M every year going forward you know texas coming to the sec part of the cool part about that is okay well finally you're going to see texas and texas a&m again but the understanding here is i believe that texas permanent opponent if you only have one would be oklahoma and a&m would only be a permanent opponent if you have the three but if you play an eight game conference slate you won't have three permanent opponents you'll have one permanent opponent and so therefore all of these great games that a 16 team sec with a nine game conference slate might be able to provide interesting matchups georgia traveling Texas, Oklahoma, all that kind of stuff. That a lot of that might just happen less frequently um, if you're not playing the nine-game conference slate, and if you can't get ESPN to give you more money, they have kind of prorated the deal a little bit more to account for Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. My understanding is is that the league would like to have additional money to account for an additional conference game per year. If not, then you might as well make a couple of million dollars by playing McNeese State or Talladega Tech or you know somebody like that. And so, you know, a lot of this kind of gets to that sort of distasteful uh, horse trading that goes on in boardrooms this time of year. And I think the SEC stuff kind of relates to that, too. So that's one of those things that I'm looking for from these spring meetings. What kind of resolution do we get on that? We'll obviously be watching that very closely. Now, with that said, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously, I'm looking forward to some vacation time coming up. even have a Royal Caribbean cruise uh, weekend-type deal coming up later on this summer. So we're excited about all of that. And for you, I think it's time for you to get excited about your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Jessica Slater is a great travel agent. She can help you with it. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. And for me, the advice I would give you is... When you're getting ready to start your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation search, there's so, so many different things you can do. Different ports you can go out of, different itineraries you can p- pursue. For me, every search I start for a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation begins with a stopover at Perfect Day Coco Cay. That private island right there in the Bahamas that really is as good as advertised. And I can tell you that firsthand. We were just there back in April, had a great time. 
maybe too much of a good time, but nonetheless, a great time there at Perfect Day Coke OK. That was true for me when my family and I were there in February. It's really just got something for everybody. You want to do kind of like the, you know, there's a swim up bar and there's this Oasis Lagoon. We have like the DJ and the large pool and everybody's having a good time there. You want to do kind of like the family oriented stuff where you're on the water slides or the wave pool. You want to kind of just float in the ocean. You can do that. There are just so many different ways to make that a great experience. Kind of a thrill side of the island, a chill side of the island, whichever one you prefer, whichever side you think you'd prefer, it's there for you. So give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147, and she can get you hooked up on all of that today. All right, so let's go cruise around the SEC here for a moment. I want to do something related to Georgia assistance here in a second. Let me give you some more of this all-SEC stuff. First of all, I talked about Georgia guys on like the first two teams a little earlier. I do think it's kind of crazy that a Marius Mims is a third team all SEC preseason selection by Athlon. A Marius Mims, I believe, has a better chance of being the number three overall pick than he does being a third team all SEC selection. Like that's one of those guys that I just think, I mean, assuming he stays healthy, he's about as close to a sure thing. I believe, as Georgia has. I also think it's interesting that Kendall Milton comes up here as a third-team All-SEC guy at running back. And we would say, and we have said, that we believe the Georgia running back situation is probably the position group we feel like we know least about moving into the upcoming season. The health of Kendall Milton, the health of Branson Robinson, obviously those are all big parts of that. How this grouping is going to kind of work together, just given how important guys like Kenny McIntosh have been who are no longer here. You know, a lot of, a lot of spot on the Georgia running back spot. So interesting to see Kendall Milton getting that... Uh, that third team nod there, courtesy of our friends at Athlon. As far as the other stuff in the first team that's worth your attention, you know, one of the names you're going to have to know because he comes into uh, Athens here this year is Quinchon Judkins, the running back for Ole Miss. You know, very quietly for all that Lane Kiffin's supposed to be as a tutor of quarterbacks and kind of a passing-friendly head coach, you know, Ole Miss has been pretty effective on the running game, and actually some of that even predates uh, Kiffin becoming head coach there. Judkins kind of the next in line there at running back for the Rebels. That's probably a name to be aware of and pay attention to. Evan Stewart, the wide receiver for Texas A&M, that's also a, a name of note. You know, of all the 2022 signees for A&M, they've kind of, kind of frankly proven to be a little overrated maybe or not quite what they're supposed to be, at least in the Texas A&M uniform. Uh, Stewart is the example of one of the real – diamonds they may have found and if there's any chance for an offensive upgrade with Bobby Petrino's offensive coordinator and a chance for Jimbo Fisher to save a little bit of face after a couple of pretty embarrassing seasons a guy like Stewart's a player they're going to really probably lean on there in that spot uh, JC Latham the uh, first team from Alabama we've said this before such an important player for the Crimson Tide this year you know I think it's very murky about exactly what you're going to get from Alabama but any chance of Tide being better than it kind of appears on paper they might be Almost any chance of that requires really leaning on a great offensive line. And making the offensive line great, a lot of that responsibility is going to come right there squarely on Latham. So we'll see how it plays out there. That's a name worth knowing. First team defense. You know, we talked about a couple of these guys before. You know, you look at all the guys there for LSU. You know, Makai Wingo and Mason Smith are part of your defensive line. Obviously, Harold Perkins is a linebacker. They may use Perkins a little bit different this year than you might think in terms of how they move him around. But if we're talking about you know, a guy, or I should say a team like LSU taking that next step forward, which I believe they have a very good chance to do, being dominant on defense is a very clear path to get there because we kind of know what they are offensively. This is a team that I think would do well to kind of get both quarterbacks involved, but if you can be that bedrock defensive team, and obviously pretty good collection of building blocks there with a couple of uh, defensive linemen, Mason Smith, you know, everybody kind of knows. 
Uh, obviously, Harold Perkins, people kind of found out about because of what he did against Arkansas last year. Really a very impressive freshman season overall. That is certainly uh, something to keep your eye on. I want to mention this, too. I, th- I saw this at CBS Sports. So uh, David Cobb wrote, wrote this story. And the headline is, the football coordinators poised to emerge as head coaching candidates uh, next season. And what I, what I thought was interesting is Glenn Schumann's not on here, which, you know, I guess say what you will about that. But let me give the names that are here. you got Garrett Riley, the Clemson offensive coordinator, Jesse Menner, the Michigan defensive coordinator, Shannon Dawson from Miami, that's the offensive coordinator there, Ryan Grubb, we talked about him at Washington, that's the guy that turned down money in Alabama to stay at Washington. You got Josh Gaddis from Maryland. How in the world is Josh Gaddis going to be a head coach? Josh Gaddis got fired as offensive coordinator from Miami. How in the world is he going to be a head coach? Uh, I don't know if Josh Gaddis' agent's writing the story or what. Jeff Levy at Oklahoma, probably a name worth kind of paying attention to. But the name that you know kind of jumps out to me from a non-Georgia standpoint, and then we'll talk about the Georgia angle on this, is Garrett Riley at Clemson. That we may look back on the Riley hire as one of the most pivotal things that has happened during the offseason for the good or the bad. You know, Riley, is that's by the way Lincoln Riley's brother, he was, he was TCU's offensive coordinator this past season, an example of Dabo Sweeney at Clemson doing something he hasn't always done, which is going outside the program to make a key hire. You know, Dabo has been pretty content to promote from within when he's needed to replace his offensive coordinator. And the program had been having enough success. That just seemed like a reasonable decision. But they're not quite winning at the same rate they once were. And all of a sudden now, offense is kind of a reason why that they need an upgrade. And I think there's some, I don't want to say pressure, because you know Dabo's obviously fully cemented in his job. But there's at least some tough questions being asked of, is Clemson still this, the college football playoff level team that it was a couple of years ago? You know, 2021, 2022, Clemson has just looked less than that. Well, Garrett Riley's been brought in to to resurrect that from Clemson and if he does as young as he is I think he's still pretty young 33 yeah he's 33 years old he could be a head coach and it could be a head coach very very quickly but if the Riley hire doesn't quite work out that way if he's not a hot name to be a head coach next season I'm talking about 2024 then all of a sudden you got to really kind of wonder what is Dabo Swinney's future at Clemson and have we seen the kind of cresting and now program regression there for the Tigers Garrett Riley make a note of that name it's as important a name that exists in the entire college football playoff conversation because you can pretty quickly identify a short handful of playoff contenders they're three from the SEC I believe if you want to include Alabama uh, right now I'm skeptical if they're worthy of mention but we'll just for the sake of tradition include them there along with Georgia and LSU obviously both Michigan and Ohio State and then after that you kind of get into well is it Clemson is it USC is it Texas um this may be the last year we even talk about Clemson in those terms unless Garrett Riley pays very big dividends as a pivotal offensive coordinator hire big name dimension now as I said before you don't see Glenn Schumann on this list I do think that Schumann is uh, very quickly becoming a head coach in Canada I hope he doesn't leave but just given the attention he got this offseason including from the Philadelphia Eagles it seems like he's poised to do that in much the same way that Dan Lanning kind of held out for a good job I think that Glenn Schumann might do that too and I was going to think about this the other day was it relates to like a, a Todd Hartley, the Georgia tight end coach, uh, a Dale McGee, the Georgia running backs coach, uh, you know, other names, you know, uh, for Georgia in a situation like this. You know, Brian McClendon, maybe if you want to think about him in, in kind of those those terms there, too. You know, it could be that we may be entering into an era 
in which more Georgia assistant coaches stick around for a little longer than maybe they would have in the past. A, because Georgia's got the financial resource, they can pay these guys. You know, you're going to have a lot of Georgia position coaches kind of knocking on the door of making pretty close to a million bucks. So that's obviously a good thing to say nothing of the high dollars the coordinators are commanding right now. Obviously, Glenn Schumann uh, got himself a very big raise uh, this offseason and now kind of got a little bit of a new title to go along with that there too. But you go back and look at the NFL draft the other day. I mean, we've saw probably what as few group of five fcs level players drafted as we've ever seen before that it seems like right now there's a migration of if you're an nfl level player at the group of five level then you're moving up to that high power five level as a way of kind of validating your college career and we have a little bit of a talent drain from the lower levels of the sport i think guys like todd hartley probably noticed that so let's say that if you're hartley and your next stop is being a head coach somewhere because of how effective you are as a recruiter a recruiter do you want to go be head coach at, I don't know, fill in the blank, F, you know, kind of group of five level school, knowing that right now those group of five teams are either not getting NFL level talent or they're not holding on to NFL level talent? I don't know. It may be one of those things where every Georgia assistant sort of sees himself as the next Dan Lanning of, if I wait long enough, if I'm patient, in Lanning's case it actually happened pretty fast, but nonetheless, if I show a little bit of patience, then maybe I might get tabbed to lead a program like, Oregon or like Sam Pittman who got tabbed to lead a program like Arkansas he was a position coach that moved up to that level or a Shane Beamer different coaching staff but a guy who had been at UG at one point in time who got tabbed to lead South Carolina that we may be seeing a time in which there is no obvious next move for a lot of these Georgia assistant coaches other than just sort of waiting for their chance to get a head coaching job worth taking and that could be to UGA's benefit here so we're obviously going to be looking at some of these hot assistants clearly Georgia's got a collection of assistants who are about as good as they exist anywhere and maybe because of the current landscape of college football, maybe Georgia might have a chance to actually hold on to some of these guys a little longer than you might initially would have thought. So that is Cruise Run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as you're cruising places this summer, hope you're taking the finished long drink with you everywhere that you go. I was hearing from one of our commenters a little earlier, a yard dog said on our Dog Nation comment section to begin our show, he says, I finally tried the finished long drink. And he said, now I'm a convert. I'm hooked. I love it. And so... There is nothing that makes me happier than when folks try the finished long drink for the first time. The fact that they enjoy it, the fact that it becomes a part of their summer routine when they go to the pool, when they're hanging out in the back patio or whatever. They're enjoying some finished long drink as they do. So if you're the next one who needs to try it, then please go to thelongdrink.com. You can put in your zip code. You can find out where to pick some up, whether it's the long drink cranberry the Long Drink Strong, that's 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar. Long Drink Traditional, I love that. It's a blue can. I just love the way it looks. I love the way it feels in my hand, nice and cold. It's got the gin kick, the grapefruit flavor. Our good friend Kaylee Manziel, she loves all that there as well. And you will like it too. It sort of looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. If you like mixed drinks, you will love the finished Long Drink. So make sure you try some today. And to uh, wrap things up here with our uh, golden shoe, and speaking of enjoying some fun stuff during the summer, you know, for a lot of folks grilling out this time of year, we don't call them barbecues because barbecues are down, but uh, uh, but nonetheless, grilling out this time of year, having a little bit of a cookout, that's always a uh, fun thing to be able to do. And sometimes when you look over on the grill, you see certain things you don't oftentimes expect to see. Somebody shared this with me as an example of that. ABC Chiropractic says, another Gators in the transfer portal. And what you see is, is somebody on a different social medium saying, I don't mind the dirty grill here, but I caught what was eating my chickens. So this person caught an alligator who had been eating chickens and uh, 
cooked the alligator for Mother's Day, putting that thing like a whole hog on a uh, on a grill right there. Now I've had gator tail before; it's actually really good. I don't know that I could eat that though. Although I tell you, they are cooking it up golden brown for sure. So uh, there you go on that. A golden shoe all around for that. And whatever you're enjoying on the grill this time of year, hope it's tasty and delicious. By the way, speaking of cooking up some gators, clearly the Georgia's going to be doing that 157 days from right now. It is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Look forward to talking to you then, everybody.